Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 176 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, February 1st. We did a podcast on January 1st, and now we're doing it on February 1st. We're bringing in all the months of joy with murders and missing persons. Doesn't that just give you a warm, fuzzy feeling in your balls? It should. How you doing, Mike? Doing as good as I can be. Uh... Minimum wage raised up uh, another notch this year. So oh, like nationally, 13, yeah. So I'm going to be getting like thirteen fifty, but that's plus like the extra twenty cents or whatever raise that I have. So I mean, it's not you know amazing, but thirteen dollars and fifty cents. It was like yeah, it's like thirteen seventy five because I have a little bit of a raise because I was there for a year. What the so, fuck? A minimum wage do they pay in Washington? It's like eight dollars here in Florida. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's 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 different in in uh, other states. Yeah, it's eight dollars and forty six cents per hour in Florida. Let me see Washington State. That's twelve bucks an hour in tw- in Washington. Jeez. In twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, twenty nineteen is what's saying. Yeah, they haven't updated it yet. Oh yeah, thirteen fifty an hour. God, that's decent. Yeah. Uh, the, it was a cost of living, just insane out there or something. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty nuts. Jeez, so. I can't. But that's like literally five dollars more than what an hour than what you're making in Florida. Yeah, well, and I know Florida's what that. I mean, it, I lived in Oklahoma City for uh, a couple years, and I remember the minimum wage being pretty low over there too. So, so uh, yeah, that's pretty nice, uh, and things are going still pretty good at work and. This uh, this astronomy class is, is uh, it's difficult, but it's also pretty crazy. Uh, last class on uh, Wednesday, which is also lab night, and a day where I had been at work since like 9 a.m., it was a long day for me. I, I was at work by 9, and I didn't get off work until 5, then I had to be on campus by 5.45, and I didn't get out until, like, after 9. So, yeah, I was just out all day. So, I'm in class, and along with everyone else, and I, I think this, I think it was either before class, a little bit before class started or something. And here comes this guy who just bursts into, into the uh, classroom, and... We could already kind of pick up on on the vibes with this guy, like there was something off about him. And he's all like, "Give me some math problems. Give me some math problems. Like I, 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 I got you know, I, I'm in this class. I, you know, I need, I need math problems." Blah 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 blah. 
And it was just very disruptive and weird and awkward. And he was like clearly like high. Was this a classmate or just some rando? Some random guy who I don't remember seeing in the class at all. It was it was pretty it was pretty crazy. And it took us, you know, a bit to, to I don't think I don't think anyone in the class really adjusted to the to the class period after that. It was just too That's kind of, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Like that someone can yeah. just so easily walk in and and do that. Yeah. Like without security or anybody. Uh huh. I think it was a cl- I think it was somebody who actually you know was on campus for classes, but I don't know. He had some sort of if he was doing it for a joke or I I I don't know what it was, but it was just weird. Yeah, that is very bizarre. That is very bizarre indeed. I went to my niece's third birthday party or three. What is it? Her three year old birthday. Whatever. She's turning three year old birthday. She's turning three today, and she had a birthday party, and I went to it. And um, there was all kinds of little kids all over the place, and yeah. I, I just I can't I can't with with little with kids. Headache. It, yeah, their <laughs> their voices are so high pitched, and they have so much energy, and they're just yeah. they're just little like drunk people. Like they act like a <laughs> like they literally are just a bunch of little miniature drunk people. Like they they can't be reasoned with. You can't really talk to them. They just want to make loud noises. And then you got all the moms just hovering around like, you know, nurturing and 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 parenting and doing all this other kind of stuff and I'm like I look at like moms like that the same way I look at someone with like, you know, who has so many face tattoos that they look like a fucking yeah. magna doodle or whatever it's called like <laughs> it, it's like i look at people with all those crazy face tattoos not like tasteful ones because i think you can have yeah. tasteful ones here and there but you know like post malone for instance uh-huh. i'm gonna bring him up again i look at that guy and i go the fact that you would be willing to defy society on that big of a scale means that you and i will probably never be able to relate on deep levels because i just have a fundamental disbelief in what you're doing and that's the same way i look at those moms who are nurturing those kids i'm like the fact that you are willing to put up with this and you enjoy it and love it and this is your world means that fundamentally you and i are so different that there's no way we'll ever be able to get along like that is the conclusion i came to today yeah that mothers who enjoy mothering are much like uh people with a lot of face tattoos as far as my ability to relate to them uh yeah i mean i i probably won't you know go that far i i think part of it is they put up with it you know because that's what love is you know in relationships you put up with you know equally as uh irritating things uh depending on what the relationship is uh but also at the same time like who else is going to do that job and 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 you know like it's 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 a necessary thing but uh Kids to me, some kids are like the Terminator. They can't be reasoned with. They don't feel pity or remorse or fear. And they absolutely will not stop ever until you are annoyed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. It's just not, it's, it's, it's just clearly not my thing. But, uh, you know, I, 
Yeah. Anyway, this uh, is a podcast. Happy. <laughs> this is a podcast. Happy times. <laughs> it's a podcast about uncovering unexplained mysteries. We're going to be uncovering some unsolved mysteries this week. Yes. The forbidden Fabolton title, original title for our show, <laughs> Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries, which has more of a ring to it, but, you know, I don't like getting sued it's at It's more the same limiting. Time. It's also more limiting. Yeah, that's true. Especially if we had kept the thumbnail, the original thumbnail. Yeah. I don't know why we thought that, like, I don't know, like... Well, the thumbnail was technically kind of changed up. The font was different. You made it, right? Didn't you do something with it? I, did, I didn't make it. It was uh, one I found, uh, it was like a t-shirt design I found somewhere. <laughs> and that's the one that you have. I, did, I wasn't able to get that before it was taken off. And you, uh, uh, you the, just like slap, you slap the word podcast in the bottom, right? <laughs> yeah, I just put, I put uncovering on top. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so and, like, I mean... purple uh, font lettering which was not the same as the show either so so it wasn't exactly you know a a, a new invention but at the same time it's just no like, but at the same time yeah. yeah it wasn't we were still the first yeah well any hoozles uh so uh anyway uh the first case we're talking about is another case from season 11 because i'm going backwards this is on uh cindy wismiller so, 42-year-old courier Cindy Wismiller replenished ATM machines with cash. That's probably... Th- that job is one of those jobs that is probably surprisingly dirty, because you're dealing with all this dirty money. Because mo- money's dirty. Let's just be honest. I don't think you're going to and... offend money by calling it dirty. <laughs> you dirty, dirty money. <laughs> uh, but... Uh probably a dirty job and it's also probably one of those jobs where you're dealing with all this money and if you're not like doing the best financially like it's always going to be this uh temptation it's always going to be like oh my god you know if i could just get away with you know it's like look at all this money yeah you would you you I could you use would this think money. that, but I mean, I guess the same could be said if you're like a cashier. You know, I mean, yeah. you're handling money then as well. Actually, yeah, my, but it's not. But cashiers is is a little bit different because you're not handling that yeah large amounts of money. Yeah, when you're replenishing ATM machines with cash, you're you're handling like thousands of dollars. You're probably thinking to yourself, oh, what what what's it going to hurt if I take a hundred bucks here, forty bucks there? Yeah. They're not going to notice. This is thousands of dollars I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't you know recommend or uh, suggest that you do any of that. But I'm just saying it's something that I you know I think. For some people who have this kind of job, especially if they're in a situation in their life where things are not working out as planned, it is going to be at least a bit of a temptation. I say fuck it, go for it. You know, you only live once. If you're if you drive one of those ATM kind of Brinks trucks or whatever, just fucking go for it. Just steal a little bit and see what happens. That's what I say. (laughs) I say don't do it. (laughs) Don't break the law. (laughs) I say, you know, who cares? YOLO. <laughs> Are you honestly... Do you honestly think that? Mike, I'm not going to let you in behind the curtain here. I mean, this is, this is, this is a show after all. This is not a uh, therapy session. It's not a psychoanalysis. No. Okay, so... Um, on Friday, November 24th of 2000, President of Kokomo, Indiana's Armored Services, Jay Chodok, or Chodok, sounds like a... Um, 
relative of Modok, the Marvel villain. But he but he's it, a jerk because he's a chode, a chode. Yep. <laughs> he's a chode and yeah, and, and it, a cock. Yeah, okay. chode. So anyway, uh, he was the president of Kokomo Indiana's Armor Services, and he called Cindy into his office. He told her that Brinks was taking over the company, but they were giving her a new position. He also told her that on Monday she would ha- not have to get up early and tend to her accounts. All she had to do was meet the new Brinks employee at 9.30 a.m. The employee would take over her route. However, for some unknown reason, Cindy got up early on Monday, November 27th. She and her boyfriend, Billy Hawkins, had their morning coffee together, and then Cindy left for work, not appearing to be under any duress. However, authorities know that Cindy removed $300,000 from six different machines on her route between 5.50 and 7.15 a.m. that morning. Only one ATM had a surveillance tape. The video showed Cindy alone removing money from the machine. Only one of them. So there were other ATMs that didn't have any surveillance. I'm trying to see what year this case was from. 2000? 2000. Jeez, what the hell? Really? <laughs> like, I I seem to recall at that age, like, you know, whenever my mom would go up to an ATM, I would always notice the ca- uh, a camera. So that's surprising. I know. She did not to be appear to be any under... Uh, she did not appear to be under any duress. And at 8 a.m., a witness saw Cindy moving bags from her armored services truck into a beat-up Chevy Sprint. I love how they, the Wikipedia has to zero in on the beat-up part of the Chevy Sprint. Yeah. It wasn't a uh, pristine, right-off-the-floor-room Chevy Sprint. It was a beat-up Chevy Sprint. They're trying to establish how unofficial the vehicle was. We're going was- from an armored car <laughs> to a beat-up you know, piece of crap. So clearly this yeah. was not... I've never even heard of a Chevy Sprint. I'm going to look it up right now. See what it looks like. Chevy Sprint. Oh, yeah. You've seen... You've seen these cars. Oh, these are these are like ubiquitous 1980s cars. I'll send... Yeah, I'm going to send you an image. This is really good for radio, by the way. Like, describing visual stuff when people are only <laughs> listening. I'm doing a good job with that. No, I just got to show you this real quick. Yeah, this is like in any uh, stock footage of like 80s um, and it shows like some little crappy car driving on the uh, on the road or whatever. Uh-huh. It's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. You see yeah, what I'm talking or, about? Or 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That car was like ubiquitous with that time period. If I could say ubiquitous one more time, I'll feel smart. Ubiquitous. Pro- probably every soccer mom <laughs> had that. No, I would th- yeah, that, uh, I think this is more of a um you know, 16-year-old just got your first, you know, you got your driver's license. This is like the first car your parents might get you. <laughs> it's got like that box. It looks like a your typical like it looks like a Toyota like Camry but way more boxy and and it is it is a lot like a minivan. Yeah, no, it doesn't look anything like a minivan. Well, I mean, for the minivans back then, you gotta you gotta look at like some of them were like that, or a Subaru or something. It's it's similar to that. Like it's not like a normal uh, shape for like a, a regular car. So it it just it just it has that sort of let's go on a road trip type of uh, 
vibe to it for me. Let's go to a road trip to the welfare office. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he said it, not me. Yeah, <laughs> I did. So, uh, or to the uh, uh, medical marijuana yeah, yeah, uh, the, the dispensary. Yeah, the dispensary. <laughs> exactly. There is one uh, near me that's like right next to the Goodwill, and like a Jack in the Box and a bank, and you see all kinds of people over there. I don't know if I talked about the story when there was like a couple who were arguing, you know, at the marijuana dispensary. And it's just it's just craziness over there. Like people are just they really want their weed, man. And, oh really? Uh, yeah, I mean there was one where it's like, "Fuck you, you know, don't talk shit about my car." What? <laughs> Especially, yeah, that's kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, um, you know, to me, I you think like marijuana? I just saw a fight. I thought weed was supposed to mellow you the fuck out. I know. What the hell? I could see if it was like, if, if alcohol had been illegal this whole time and they just made it legal and they had alcohol dispensaries, I could see drunks like stumbling up there being like, hey, fuck you, buddy. Give me my bush light. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. But weed, man, you're supposed to say, hey, man, it's all good. Yeah, you go in first, man. Go ahead. I'm not nah, in any fuck hurry. Fuck you. Your car sucks. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever met anyone high who has even had the ability to get angry enough to, like, raise their voice even. Yeah. You just don't care about things you would normally care about when you're sober, when you're high. The few times I've been high, I'm just like... Whatever, man. It's just cool, man. Just well. I mean, the guy definitely cared about math problems. So, <laughs> well, that wasn't weed. That that guy was on PCP. <laughs> that was a little different. Or he was just on, uh, you know, uh, too much Adderall. That guy could probably feel his hair grow. That's how high he was. <laughs> uh. So anyway. So she was helped by an unidentified person. Cindy Wissmiller was never seen again. When Cindy did not show up at 9.30 a.m. to meet with the new Brinks employee, she was paged, but she didn't answer. Jay Chodok dispatched someone to trace Cindy's route, and it was discovered that money was missing from the six different ATM machines. Police were called, and Cindy's family was shocked as to what had happened. Of course you would be. Like, if this had... You had never seen... Your uh, relative or someone you love or know personally do something like this before? They didn't have a history of doing anything like this before? You'd just be like, you'd be flabbergasted. You'd just be like, I, I can't believe this. That this This can't be real. So um, Billy was certain that she had been forced to take the money. Her son, Richard Munoz, said that his mother could not have taken off of the money. She was in no financial difficulty, and she would have told her family if she was. Which, that's the typical kind of thing I, with this show. I thought she was you in know. financial diffi- have, having financial difficulty. Because weren't, weren't they saying that she was dipping into the till before? Um, yeah, they're going to go. They're going they're oh, okay. to get to okay. that point. Right. But, yeah. Um, but... You know, that's stuff that she was, didn't let her family be aware of. Okay, I got you. 
So for what they knew, she was she was doing fine. But that's the typical sort of thing. Like she would have told us if she struggled, she was struggling. Really? Some people don't really become open about that. It's like when families come on Unsolved Mysteries, they're coming on in the capacity of like the PR representative for the missing person or the murderer. (laughs) Like they're literally just putting the best foot forward as as much as they can for the person who's missing or accused or or whoever committed suicide it's like that's their pr person essentially like yes i'm representing you know pat sneed and i just wanted to say that uh she was a fantastic woman and never did anything wrong ever and everybody loved her so any (laughs) accusations made to the contrary are absolutely false and ridiculous that's pretty much but everyone would, on this show. Yeah, whose family? But when you when you show up with that particular stance, it looks suspicious because you're just like grandstanding at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you dial it back a little bit, it's a little more believable, <laughs> you know. Like, um, for instance, um, Skullduggery, That was the name of the yeah. the the working title for the mysterious murder box set one, the uh-huh. one where. Um, the man and woman were together, and then she goes missing. The guy, the husband thinks that she left him for someone else, and then her skull is found in the place where the ex-husband used to hang out and drink every, almost yeah. every day. And how he described her, it, it just, it was a lot more believable. Like, he was like, you know, yeah, we had our problems, and, you know, uh, she probably... When I, you know, left me for some other guy and then met with foul play, you know, I mean, it is what it yeah. is, basically. And it, it was a lot, it was a lot more, um, I guess, I don't know. It felt more Believable. like, a, yeah, it felt more like a, a, a authentic description of the person rather than, yeah. oh, no, they would have never done that. I don't know. It's like, you know, people kind of have to take off their rose colored glasses with their uh, family members sometimes, you know, and realize that everyone has fucking secrets and skeletons in the closet. I mean, what well, yeah, I mean, look at look at the people who show up on the show. Uh, what is it? Uh, intervention. You know, a lot. There's a lot of uh, people like that where it just took a long time for the family to like really start to see, you know, that it really was a problem. Even to the person listening right now, whoever you are, you're listening to our podcast, you're hearing the sound of my voice. You, yes, I'm talking to you. You have some kind of secret, you have some kind of something that only you know about, or very few other people know about, that you don't fucking want anybody else to know about or find out about. Or it would be very embarrassing for you at the very least. And guarantee you your fucking mom and dad don't know about it your kids don't know about it only you know about it and maybe someone else and if you die and that information comes out guess what all your family's gonna say that would never do that he wasn't even like that yeah not you didn't know not to you but you know so yeah if yeah there's different levels and different uh severities uh of of secrets like mike for instance like he seems like a pretty normal guy but the the sick stuff that he watches online at night to get his jollies is just you would you wouldn't believe it so i mean everyone's got their secrets that's one of many dark secrets mike has <laughs> i really don't have any secrets that dark but anyway um so <laughs> 
So even police think of Cindy as a dedicated family woman. She lived with her daughter, son-in-law, and granddaughter and always helped them with their financial needs. Police suspect that she had a generous soul, but lacked funds to meet with it. An investigation soon revealed that $15,000 was missing from company machines. The money was taken prior to the day she vanished. However, Cindy's family believed that she was a victim of foul play, especially because of the eyewitness sighting of the individual helping Cindy in the theft. Well, you know, that could just be a friend of hers, a confidant, a uh, criminal buddy. The police believe that he was working with Cindy, but her family believes that he abducted her, murdered her, and then took the money. The theory is further supported by the fact that nobody has heard from her since she vanished. Well, she stole $300,000. I, I, I would think, you know, at that point, she was pretty uh, convinced that she was just going to be on the run. And she was like, that was her decision. You don't steal $300,000 from your job. And then, like, call your family later and be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm in uh, South America somewhere. I can't tell you exactly where it is, but I'm doing fine. Love you, Grandma. I don't Love speak you, the Mom. language. You know, I've, I've, I've had to, uh, you know, yes, get it. Yes, I stole the money. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you... You'd, you'd, you'd think she was going to do some kind of Robin Hood shit with her family and be like, you know, give them the money or get it to them somehow. But that seemingly has not happened. Yeah, well, I mean, normally when you steal that kind of money from your job, you don't really do the Robin Hood thing. But Well, the that one Jewish guy did. Uh, oh, yeah. Pushinowski. Uh, Pushinowski. Yeah. yeah. Pushinowski, yeah. Um, he's the exception. Like the rare exception. Yeah. Most of the time when people steal large sums like that, it's they're using it to pay off some debt or they're uh, going on the run. Because I want to live the high life. I'll be back in the high life again. A little, so, little Steve Linwood. Yep. <laughs> So, however, the theory is weakened by the fact that there may have not have been an accomplice at all, as eyewitnesses could not positively identify the woman as Cindy. Also, she did not appear under any stress on the videotape. Finally, she did not type in the secret distress code on the ATM. So, yeah, there's a secret distress code. So, if she was being forced to do this, she probably would have pressed that. Right, yeah, like, but then again, they were saying, well, the person who may or may not have been the... He might have known about yeah, it. Yeah, they may that the person might have known that there is a distress code, and they would have known if she, you know, because some of these crooks are really well-researched on all this stuff, you know. Yeah, so th- but it's a secret distress code. How do they know about well, it? Well, you know, the, the whole theory would probably be that, that this was probably a former employee. It was a co-worker, yeah. yeah. former employee who, you know, knew the protocol already. Yeah. As for Billy Hawkins, Cindy's boyfriend, he continues to worry about Cindy in hopes that she will be found. Authorities have not charged Cindy with any crime, but would like to question her. A $25,000 reward is being offered in this case. Now, this case is solved. In December 2006, the investigators examined Cindy's family phone records and learned that they had made phone calls to Walton County, Florida. Whoops! So the family lied. They were liars. They were good liars. They were pretty convincing on the show. Maybe this happened later, after the show. That's a possibility. 
Well, yeah, two thousand six. But it's also a possibility that you know. But it says you know that's when they found the phone records. They examined the phone records, so it doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly when it happened. But uh, yeah. So they soon located her in Walton County, where she had been living since she vanished. Why the hell would you call? I don't get it. Like it. Like, I think you would try to do some other form of communication that doesn't get traced in the same way. I don't know. Or just, I understand it's your family, but, like, you stole $300,000. I mean, like... <laughs> but I guess maybe she wasn't planning on, like, living the high life. So she's just living in some place in Walton County, Florida. I wish they had um, explained, you know, what what the motivation was. You know, what the motive was. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, have you been to Walton County? <laughs> no, I have no idea where that's at. <laughs> Walton County, Florida. I can look it up real quick and see what what cities are involved in that. Yeah, soon they they soon located her in Walton County, where she had been living since she vanished. She had been living on a houseboat under the name Cindy Blanchard. After learning that the police were going to arrest her, Cindy left her home and drove to the Kokomo Police Department in Kokomo, Indiana, to turn herself in. She pleaded guilty to theft and served two years in prison before being released. She also repaid most of the stolen money. She denied having an accomplice and is not believed that anyone else was involved in the crime. Why? Oh, Walton County. Why did she do this? Walton County's in the panhandle, so I've definitely never been there. Okay. Why did she steal $300,000? Go to Walton County, of all places. Well, my guess is if her family was having financial trouble... Then she got that money, tried to wash it somehow, whether that meant converting it into uh, money orders or whatever. You got to do something to, you know, get rid of that money and turn it into some other form of, uh, you know, cash or currency that can be spent in some yeah. way. So she probably did that. And then once she did that, she was able to give that to her family because that's untraceable. If she had given the money, the direct money that she stole, then that would have been able to be traced back, and then the family would have been, uh, well, not accomplices, but they would have been um, guilt, the guilt, you know, guilty parties, whatever. There's a word for it, that a easy word that I'm forgetting right now. There would maybe the accomplice was some was the family. I don't know. Maybe they were, you know, maybe it was a whole thing where they set it up uh, as a as a family. You know, because of the struggles the family was having if they were having financial difficulties. It was a, you know, a master plan. How is it not believed that anyone else was involved in the crime when there's fucking, there's footage, there's video footage of someone else helping her, like, load money in in, in and out of the- I know. Because it says right here, she denied having an accomplice, and it is not believed that anyone else was involved in the crime. There, are, there were two people in the video. What do you mean there's no one else? There's also a, a blurb from the Kokomo Tribune newspaper where it says that she may name the accomplice, but she never did. And I see another number that says she stole close to $500,000, not $300,000. I'm starting to put the pieces together here. Kokomo, police to Kokomo, Indiana. Then she went to Florida. Off the Florida Keys, <laughs> there's a place called Kokomo. That's where you want to go to get away from it all. Dude, it's the Beach Boys were involved in this. It was 
It was Mike Love from the Beach Boys. He was the accomplice. And then I bet they were going to go to Bermuda, Bahama. She was the pretty mama. Then Ken Key Largo, Montego. (laughs) Baby, why don't we go? Baby, why don't we go? You know, that's that was so she just she was just listening to Kokomo yeah. on the radio. Yeah. And it gave her the idea because, you know, Kokomo, Indiana, of <laughs> course, you know, being a small, stupid town, but they have a, a name of a famous song. Of course, they're going to be playing that song on the radio more than any other city would probably play it. So she probably heard the song all the time. And the song's about getting away to this paradise, which key the Florida keys in Florida and where she end up in Florida. How are you going to be able to afford all that? Money. She works for uh, you know, it all. It all makes sense to me now. It all makes so, sense. So, but here's a little extra update. Uh, this is actually, um, this is from Peru. A Peru woman who vanished nearly seven years ago is now ready to name accomplices in exchange for staying out of prison for a crime that netted nearly half a million dollars. This is an update from 2016. Cindy Wissmiller, the woman seen on the bank surveillance tape, the one whose family feared abducted, is the same woman who pleaded guilty pleaded guilty to stealing $286,000 from the ATM she was paid to stock with cash. I think the opportunity she had was overwhelming for her with all that money she had access to, and she took advantage of that, said Kokomo Police Detective Mike Banish. Wissmiller of Peru... An employee of an armored services company was last seen in surveillance tape in November of 2000. Um, what, what are they talking about? Fucking Peru. Like, nobody, like, okay, this is this is bad. Like, she was from Peru? I guess she's probably Peruvian? Well, I didn't know that. Um, but uh, according to Detective Banish, he says, as far as I know, she went south. She lived in an apartment in Louisiana for a couple months and then moved to the Panhandle of Florida for the rest of the time. Police say in December, Wissmiller learned from neighbors that authorities were looking for her. She turned herself in the next day. Prosecutors struck a deal with Wissmiller that keeps her out of jail in exchange for her naming her accomplices. But others involved in the heist would likely never spent a day in jail. That's because the statute of limitations of the crime expired two years ago. So the the moral of the story is, is you can rob a, a a ATM truck or armored car as long as you're able to lay low for you know a couple years. She was she was uh, missing for six. So yeah, I think it's more the statute of limitations is more than a couple years. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. I don't. I still don't. I don't. The mystery is why she did it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The motive, man. That's what I want to know. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, you know, being separated from your... Does she have gambling debts? Like, I, I don't... <laughs> You're being separated from your family for that long? I mean, it's just... It's a mess. Like, what... You know, and then her son's all... Everyone's all, like, white knighting for her on there. And I think and- she's dead. Yeah, that's that's that that's shitty on her part. Yeah. And her uh her boyfriend, it's so fucking weird when these people are like 45, 50 years old still calling each other, "Oh, my boyfriend, my girlfriend." That's it's such a like a juvenile term for when you're that old. It doesn't seem very fitting at that age. They should come up with like an alternative word. What? <laughs> I mean, I would say it's better than my bae. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it is better than that, but it's still not uh it's still awful. Um, 
I don't know. I don't think there's really another alternative unless you get engaged. So fiance. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess at that point, my just your perception is you're, you're used to people that of that age just being husband and wife. Yeah. You know, it's weird to say my girlfriend and it's like you're 50 and she's 45. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. But that's just my opinion. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't think it's that weird, but you know, because well, <laughs> so, there really isn't another alternative, like I said. Oh, yeah. Speaking of boyfriends and girlfriends, Mike, uh, there was apparently a. No. <laughs> okay. Well, you 86 that. Uh, speaking of that, though, we do have a, a fan group that you can join. Go to uh, facebook.com, go to the group sec- section, type in uncovering unexplained mysteries, and join our group. It's really fun and interactive and a lot of nice people and it's uh it's not like most groups where either no one talks and it's like a ghost town or if they do talk people are super douchey and clicky it's nothing like that it's it's a rare group in the sense that how fucking nice and friendly everyone is um so yeah join that group um do you have represents robert stack yes nicely yes it would make robert stack do that little smirk that he does if he uh, saw the group (laughs) And then he would see the cease and desist letter from John and Terry's lawyer, and the smirk would quickly go back to a uh, stone-faced, kind of angry scowl <laughs> at John Cosgrove. And he'd bitch Or not, him. I don't know. <laughs> Let me teach you how to treat other people, John. Psh, psh, psh. <laughs> Reminds me of a story, this is off topic, but it has to deal with another John. John Candy. Um, I'm reading this uh, book that a fan of John Candy's uh, researched and wrote uh, from Canada, and uh, she ended up uh, doing a lot of research for it. And it's called, um, I think it's called, I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick because it, it, I honestly do recommend this book for fans of John Candy. It does a really good job capturing, you know, everything that made him such a special guy, such a lovable, you know, real article. Uh, of of a person and it it's called uh searching for candy by uh tracy j Morgan. you said this is a book yes oh i wonder if they have it in audiobook form i will totally listen to this if it's on audible um i don't know i'm gonna look no i'm gonna look right now it's it's not on it's not on audio yet but it's pretty it's pretty cheap searching for candy yeah no it's not I yeah don't no it's it not that's unfortunate if anyone has any good audiobook recommendations out there, if you could drop it in the group, that'd be great. I like I like biographies or autobiographies. Yeah. But anyway, um, this is definitely a labor of love and it shows and mentioned a story uh that that one of the interviewees uh, told them uh, told her the offer about John and how he was on the set of some film, they don't mention what it was. Uh, a friend of his uh, was Tim Kazarinsky and he was on the set. And uh, I think he was the one being interviewed and he was talking about how like the director was like chewing out this extra, this other, this, this, uh, this guy in the set and John, he he just stopped doing whatever he was doing and went over the director is like, don't you ever do that again? Like you treat everyone on this set with the same amount of respect as you would to me or I'm going, I'm, I'm leaving this film. Wow. And, he, and he said it in like a really nice, you know, stern way. Like he wasn't, it was a verbal bitch slap. <laughs> there was no physical a contact. And, you know, there was weren't really the same problems on the set after that. 
So, you know, John would stand up for even the little guy. He 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 got phone calls uh from, you know, kids who would ask him, you know, would you, you know, want to do an interview for my school project and he would actually do it. He would do the interview. That's so cool. Yeah, he was a re- he was a really really wonderful person. And this book does a really good job like collecting all these stories that you're just like, wow, like like if I didn't I I lo- I already loved John Candy, but like I just love him even more after after reading this and it's and it just makes his, you know, the his law lo- the loss of this man, you know, even more uh rough. You know, for what he brought to uh to uh to the world and to everyone that he came in contact with right yeah i i, I loved uh almost all the movies he was in so i mean it, it definitely sucks that uh he passed away do we got anything else on the uh, cindy wiss miller case no except it's just a, i just don't know why she did it yeah i know i don't understand i don't understand the motive i mean uh, I feel like Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man instead of going like, why did you get burned? Why did you get like, why did you do it? Why did you do it? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I, like I said, the only, why did you steal the money? The only thing I could think of is like, she somehow, you know, washed the money and, you know, laundered it to her family somehow. I always, that term always just doesn't, like money laundering, I don't. I instantly think of uh, I instantly think of laundry, like washing clothes. Yeah, and there's a gag in a uh, in National Lampoon's uh, Loaded Weapon One, where uh, John Lovitz's character is actually he's a money launderer and he's actually washing money. Nice <laughs> in the washing machine. Uh, so uh, the next case is uh, from season seven. I would believe. you Would you consider this a hidden gem? Yes, definitely. I, I, I consider this um, a hidden gem uh, in an I I'm surprised we haven't covered it yet. It has some of the most uh, quotable lines in the show. One of the most infamous uh, interviewees and in Danny Wheeler. Yeah, it, it's it's infamous in the sense that like it's it's uh, it's not a so, I don't know. It's not really a so bad. It's good. It boils down to the fact that all three people who are interviewed in this segment who are all accusing each other of killing uh sammy wheeler there's so much juicy drama they these are the these are the pettiest most childlike adults i have ever seen anywhere not just unsolved mysteries but good lord all three of these people are just they just all seem like awful people they none of them seem like decent people they all seem like just self especially bob bean they just seem like these self-absorbed just shitty people, and Sammy's probably better off that he doesn't have to be around them anymore. Bunch of people with their heads stuck up their ass. Like, these are the the most, <laughs> like, man-baby and woman-baby adults I have ever encountered <laughs> um, in, this, in this show. On June 7th, 1992, 36-year-old Sammy Wheeler was found brutally murdered in his car shot six times and apparently robbed while parking at the George Washington National Forest in Virginia. The killer had gone to great lengths to clean the crime scene. All shell casings and fingerprints were removed, and the killer had tried unsuccessfully to ignite the vehicle. And how he tried to ignite the vehicle, this motherfucker watched way too many, like, Bruce Willis action movies or something. (laughs) He put, like, some kind of piece of paper... 
he like bunched it up in the gas tank like in the in the yeah. opening of the gas tank and he put i guess a lit cigarette in the top of this balled up paper funnel thing uh-huh. and i guess i guess in his mind it was going to be like the action movies where the lit cigarette would eventually catch the paper on fire and then as he's driving away on his motorcycle there'd just be this huge mushroom cloud explosion behind him <laughs> i think he thought he was macgyver not bruce willis he thought he could just you know create an explosion out of a piece of paper and and by just shoving it in the tailpipe or whatever. I don't even know. A lit cigarette in I, don't, there. I don't even think that, like, because of how there's not really any air, per se, in a gas tank. It's just gas and fumes. Like, I don't yeah. know how easily. It's got a leak. It has to have a leak. Right. It has to, the there has to be some exposure to I oxygen. I mean, even in Bruce Willis action movies, like in Die Hard 2, when he throws a cigarette and lights uh, the... Uh, the uh, trail of uh, airplane fuel on fire, like it's it's leaking fuel. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, although that's not realistic anyway. Right. Still, because it's not going to go all the way up. But it, it's 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 an action movie. You know, it leads to a fun sequence, and another reason for Bruce Willis to go, "Yippee motherfucker!" <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, this this uh case opened with a bang. Or the aftermath of a bang, uh, once again showed a little bit of some grisly uh, horror there with the blood and everything. Um, but there's also some, you know, laughable incompetence with how the guy that tried to light the car on fire. So yeah. this isn't a hit. This isn't an expert. I don't think this is like a professional hitman either. Like, do you think a professional hitman would try to light a car on fire like that? No. Uh, yeah, probably not. I mean. but you know i don't know that's that's a the unrealism of of this reminds me of i saw this clip on youtube and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me and this is actually a real scene in a real movie it's a film called tracks and i know you haven't heard of it and i know probably majority of people listening to this haven't heard of it either Robert Davi is in it who was uh in the goonies and a bunch of other stuff he was also in die hard and he plays this villain in this movie, and there's some subplot with like cookies and stuff, and he's in in a limousine, and he's eating, he eats some dough or cookies, or like just cookies or shit or whatever, and then he lets out a loud fart, and then the film I guess assumes that because there was some kind of gas leak or so, or, or like he lets out a loud loud fart, and then he lights um uh, uh his lighter to light up a cigar and and he and the car explode into a fireball it's because it's try the, the film is trying to say if you fart loud enough and, and there's enough methane that you could light the fart on fire and blow yourself up that's almost as bad as funky butt loving oh it's so it's so the the video is hilarious though cuz it's just like rips a loud one <laughs> and fucking lights the lighter and then boom. Yeah, it's... thankfully the film wasn't. Me- it was. It was more of a, a comedy anyway, so it wasn't really trying to take itself too seriously. But still, like that has to go down as one of the most ridiculous death scenes in cinema history. Yeah, really, death by fart. So anyway, um, <laughs> dude tried to ignite the vehicle, didn't work. Investigators believe that he was killed at around one a.m. 
They learned that he had gone to the forest and planned to go fishing on the day that he was killed. After discovering that Sammy's wallet was missing, the FBI assumed that his murder was a random act of violence. However, three suspects soon emerged that suggested that he may have known his killer. So here are your suspects. The three... uh, Stooges. Yeah, the three Stooges, essentially. (laughs) Subject number one. Suspect number one. Sammy's girlfriend, Pat Sneed. Her ex-husband, Bob Bean. And Sammy's twin brother, Danny. They've all been considered suspects, each of them placing blame on the other. And and here starts the... the uh, Blame game. The, what's that? The, the Benny Hill... <laughs> Might as well have that playing in the background while these people were being interviewed. This, or just have them, you know, act like the Three Stooges to poke each yeah, other in the eye. Slapping and, each other in the back of the head and shit. Yeah. <laughs> the story began in the fall of 1991 when Pat moved into a rental unit owned by Danny. The property was divided into two apartments. Pat lived in one with Sammy and her two sons, while Danny lived in the other. The arrangement worked well for everyone except Bob. He asked Pat to live separately from Sammy, but she did not want to. Because I guess Bob felt like, you know, Bob's the ex-husband, Bob Bean. I guess he felt like, you know, Sammy wasn't the best, you know, influence for their kids to be around. Uh, but honestly, it's none of Bob's. See, that's the unfortunate thing about exactly. divorce is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to excuse me. I'm going. Is this allergic to the bullshit? Yes, that's exa- that's that's a, that's <laughs> how I'll play that that off. And there's apparently some. <laughs> Some more bullshit. That's for Danny Wheeler. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay, nose, you fucking done? You done being a dick interrupting me, you cock? No, apparently not. <laughs> That's for Bob Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for help helping salvage that. Anyway. Um and yeah, so Bob didn't want his kids living with uh sammy or whatever but see the thing is like when you get a privileged jackass yeah when you you get divorced (laughs) the wife can move on with her life the ex-wife i should say can move on with her life just like you can move on with your life and you don't really have that kind of say anymore and i've got to imagine there's a little bit of butthurt you know even though you you do get over your ex you do move on but there's still i think always a little bit of butthurt a little bit of resentment that will kind of always be there you know, it's kind of like, oh, you moved on, you're, you know, you're a bitch, blah, blah. So he had a problem with that living situation. And um, he asked Pat to live separately from Sammy, but she did not want to. In February 1992, a court order required that Sammy would not be allowed to be around Pat if she was with her sons. So I wonder how he was able to get that, because it's not easy to get those kind of court orders. It's it's actually exactly. surprisingly difficult to get a restraining order, I've, I've since learned, because I tried to get a restraining order against this psycho guy who was uh, the dating my... Uh, not my, not Stephanie, but my old singer, Maria. Uh, yeah. I tried to get a restraining order against him, and they're like, you got to go to the courthouse at this time. He's got to be there, too. You got to blah, 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 uh-huh. blah. And the, even then, you still might. It's crazy how they have to be there. Like, why the hell would they be there? I know. Like, you know. Yeah, I know. It, so it's like this whole thing. And even... Why would you even want them there? Like, couldn't that cause some other sort of situation? Like, on the way there I, to Yeah, the I know. Or, or like, like after know? the fact, you know? Like, yeah, the whole thing just seems like a really bad setup, but... 
Apparently, this Sammy guy must have been shitty enough to, you know, for Bob to be able to convince a court to. But Bob also might have had power, influence, and money. Yeah, maybe. Because he seems to be that kind of yeah, guy. He has so. a very smug, you know, he's very sure of himself. He's very smug. So, yeah, maybe. Um, so, in order for this situation to work, he moved into Danny's apartment. Sammy did. If you guys are following this. Bob mm-hmm. was still suspicious, so he hired a private investigator to ensure that the court order was obeyed. Bob <laughs> is a reenactment. The reenactment for this scene—it's so hilarious because the guy who plays uh, was it Danny? Uh, the actor who plays Danny is 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 you know that's so bad it's good. Yeah. Oh, the reenactments were just fucking gold in this episode. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the private investigator was, you know, looking over everything. The private investigator claimed that Sammy violated the court order. So, obviously, when Pat had Bob's kids there, Sammy was, you know, staying in the apartment still. Isn't this the one where where, uh, the the reenactment where Danny's like, I'm going to get my, like bat or gun or something? No, that's, that's, that's not it yet. That's not it yet. Oh, okay. Uh, but Danny, Danny, the twin brother, said that that it wasn't true. But of course, you know he's probably just sticking up for his brother. Yeah. Sammy decided that he would sleep in his truck in order to show that he was, you know, basically obeying this court order. Bob claims that he and Sammy were cordial to one another. Oh, I'm sure Sammy was really cordial to you, Bob, putting out a fucking court order against him because, you know, uh, you don't think that he's a good enough influence around, you know, the kids. But Danny says this is not true, which I believe. He believes that Bob hated Sammy and that he is a liar. Pat agreed with Danny, stating that Sammy did not trust Bob. On June 3rd, 1992, at around 5.30 a.m., Sammy left Danny's apartment and found Bob's son from a previous marriage taking pictures of him. This was kind of a funny reenactment, too. Sammy confronted Bob's son and told him that he was not violating the court order. It's like, yeah, the reenactment's just this, like, teenage, you know, kid, like, well-dressed, just literally walking up into the yard, walking (laughs) basically, like, three feet away from Sammy, just taking pictures of him or whatever, and... No chill. Yeah, no chill, (laughs) and and Sammy's like, hey, what's up, what's with the pictures, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just taking some pictures, he's like, I know you are, tell Bob that I'm not staying in the apartment, okay, and enough with the pictures, he's like, okay, sorry, no pictures. It was just like, <laughs> I felt like he should have like given him some noogies or something after that. Like, come on, get out yeah, of here, the, you little stinker. The, the actor who uh, was playing Danny was channeling his inner Flanders. Yeah, yeah. The, well, <laughs> did have kind of a Flandersy vibe to it. Um, so, anyway. Blah, 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 blah. Try to find where I'm at. Danny believes that Bob hired a hitman to kill Sammy because he was unhappy about losing Pat and that he was living with her. Danny claims that Sammy and Pat were going to get married the week after his death. However, Bob claims that he was not upset that they were going to do so. And he (laughs) says this Bob, all these people are horrible people, but Bob goes on in the interview and he goes, um, put it this way. I knew what I had and was thankful to pass it on, okay? 
that's another thing about Bob. He says mm-k all the time, like he's like fucking Mister <laughs> Mister uh, Mackey or whatever. <laughs> so 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 Bob is low key throwing some shade. Basically, I mean, apparently no one thought very highly of Pat, the woman, uh, except for Sammy, the murdered one. <laughs> because you got the twin brother saying that. Anyway, we'll get to that. So apparently Bob wasn't upset that they were getting married. So that, you know, that that would not have incited him to hire a hitman and all this other kind of shit. But I mean, the same thing like the hitman thing, like. Uh... He also appeared to have. But a... Maybe Danny didn't know the details like that the, the police knew about, you know, the case. Bob also appeared to have a perfect alibi. He was on maneuvers with his Army National Guard unit on the night of Sammy's murder. The camp he was at was 150 miles away. It would have been physically impossible for him to have committed the crime. He also claimed that he did not have the money to hire a hitman to kill Danny. That, that, that is a statement I ne- uh, he probably never thought he would have to say. I can't afford to have Danny killed. Wait, this says he did not have the money to hire a hitman to kill Danny. I think they meant Sammy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After Bob was cleared of any involvement by the police, Bob claimed that Pat was the real killer, saying, first of all, she does not have a concrete alibi for the time of Sammy's murder. He first suspected that she was the killer when their two sons told him that they went to the forest the day that Sammy was killed. They allegedly said specific details about the crime that he does not believe they would have learned secondhand. He even videotaped them talking about what they knew. He then presented the tape to the police. Well, here's the thing about that. Could have coached the kids. Second, uh, it's allegations. And what? We're just supposed to take his word for it? I mean, yeah, that's like... Because there are plenty of examples of kids being coached by their parents to say things. Yeah, and I mean, you can literally, like, when the cops are involved in shit, you can literally just say anything you want to them, and it doesn't, you know, 90% of the time, the cops aren't going to do anything. Like, I remember one time, uh, my friend, I would go to my friend's house a lot, and my friend had this crazy neighbor, and she would always start so much shit with... us and then finally my friend's mom got involved and the cops were called and the cops came over and talked to uh, us and got our side of it and then my friend's mom just out of nowhere goes and i don't want to make waves but i think she's selling drugs over there too and the cop just was like "Uh uh-huh okay all right well uh yeah just uh you know make sure you guys you know stay clear from each other and blah 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 bye and they drove off just totally ignored the whole drug comment you know like the cops was just like yeah okay lady so they don't I don't think they really work off conjecture very much in these kind of he said she said situations. But anyway, um you know, another thing about videotaping the kids, Danny in the interview is is uh he was like Bob's a sick man. He's a sick man that he would coach his sons into making false statements about their mother. And the authorities seem to agree as they dismiss the testimony yeah. as unreliable. They also believe that Pat also had an airtight alibi. She claimed to have been at home with the boys at the time of Sammy's murder. She was also uh, eventually eliminated as a suspect. After Pat was cleared, Bob once again told police of a possible subject. This time, it was Danny, Sammy's twin brother. Bob believes that Danny may have killed Sammy because he was in love with Pat. 
At first, she assumed that Bob was responsible, but now she also suspects that Danny was involved. So now Pat's turning on Danny, too. Uh-huh. After Sammy's death, Danny told one of her friends that he was in love with her. He, however, claims that he was not attracted to her. That's when he's going on about how, you know, uh, if my brother uh, if my brother had married her, she would have been like my sister, and my family don't go in for incest. I never thought that she was an attractive woman even before she met my brother. Like, it's like, God, you are so dramatic. Like, it's fucking hilarious. So, uh... Speaking of dramatic, speaking of drama, uh, drama queen Wheeler, uh, the the line that is infamous uh, to me and to a lot of people who have seen Unsolved Mysteries is where he he does not believe uh, Bob's explanations uh, for things. You know, he's just like, it's a coincidence. It can't just be a coincidence. And he's just like, yeah, and I'm Michael Jordan. I used to play for the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, sure it is, sure it is, sure it is, and and, and I'm Michael Jordan, and I used to play for the Chicago Bulls, you know. And he was saying it like with this look in his eye, like he that was like a mic drop moment, like he just, yeah. wow, man, what a good analogy, holy shit, you just blew all the listeners' minds, like that's why he's so, that's why he's such a legend. Oh, he is a legend. He's a legend of cringe. He's, Yes, he's got no filter, and that's part of what makes him so. He's legendary. calling his his dead brother's girlfriend ugly. He's he's you know calling Bob being a sick sick man for uh, you know uh, coaching his kids. Apparently, he's he's saying that he's not Michael Jordan. I mean, he's making all kinds of statements. He's doing a great job. Um, I bet he would have been really uh, present on internet forums if they were around. Oh. <laughs> He would have been very present, I feel. Yes, you're correct. On the morning of Sammy's murder, his father and the police sergeant broke the news to Danny and Pat. He apparently began, Danny here, began yelling and saying that Bob was the killer. He's, the reenactment was fucking hilarious. He grabbed yes, his, <laughs> he grabbed his shotgun and ran for Bob's house. And he's all, all like, you know, he's the killer. Why are you just standing here? You know, it was him. And he's putting on this whole song and dance. <laughs> and Pat believes that this hysterical reaction was a clever ploy to hide the fact that he was the killer. Once again, however, the authorities were able to confirm that he also had an alibi for the night of this Sammy's murder. Oh, I know, it, it That's is. That's really what this is. <laughs> Several witnesses saw Danny bar hopping into the early morning hours of June 7, 1992. So based on the evidence, the FBI have ruled out Bob, Pat, and Danny in the case, yet they're still just talking <laughs> all this shit about each other. They believe that each other should be considered a suspect. Also, the local authorities suspect that Sammy may have known his killer. Now, we do have an update. This case has been solved, and uh, with the investigation stalled, Sammy's family hired private investigator Alan Cates in March of 1998. Within a few months, he received an anonymous tip that led him to a witness, Kirk Thomas Bell, who was with his 29-year-old high school friend Guy Jackson Price on the morning of June 7, 1992. At the time, Price was on leave from the Army, Kirk confessed to Allen that he and Price were out driving through the park that morning when Price robbed and killed Sammy. After killing him, Price tried unsuccessfully to set the car on fire to cover up the crime. As the FBI originally suspected, the murder was indeed a random act of violence. 
Other witnesses had also reporting seeing Price's car near Sammy's vehicle on the morning of the murder. Investigators located the guns used in the murder at Price's parents' home. On July 24, 1998, Price was arrested and charged with murder. At his trial in May of 1999, his defense claimed that Kirk was the actual shooter. However, the jury didn't buy this. Price was convicted of murder and is now serving a life sentence. He became eligible for parole in 2017 and 2012, but was denied. In July of 1999, Kirk Bell was arrested and charged with trying to sell, uh, set fire to Sammy's vehicle. It is not known if he was convicted on those charges. And this guy, Price guy, looks like Tony from Oregon, it, the guy in our Facebook fan group. So <laughs> I'm thinking Tony uh, used to be Guy Price. And now is a firefighter in Oregon to, you know, start a new life. So sorry, Tony, for outing you like this, but uh, you'd have to kill him, man. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. but He kind of uh, looks like Tony. So, yeah. I don't know. All, all of these accusations um, didn't lead to anything in the end. Just a bunch of petty. I, that, petty that's a fucking hilarious it thing. Just, it was just no, no. Uh, you did it. No, you. I did would it. love to have those three <laughs> in a room when they are informed that oh yeah no it was a random killing, and they're all just sitting there in silence like oh, kind of looking at each other. Yeah, sorry about that whole like accusing you of murdering your brother thing. No, I don't I don't think that would probably happen. They'd still be like, you're still a dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Danny would definitely say that. And Bob would be like, well, I mean, they say it was Guy Price, but I don't know. You should still be looking at Pat and Danny. And then Pat would be like, I'm out of Marlboro Lights. I'm going to the store. <laughs> so that's how that would have went uh, down. It's, not, it's, it's like days of our lives, but it's days of our fucked up days lives. Days of our lives, Walmart edition. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. So yeah, that was a good one. I, I think that was a really good segment. Yeah. It was worth watching just for those three goofballs uh, accusing each other, and we didn't do it justice on like how cringy some of it was. So you should no. try to check that episode out if you can. Well, we did that. We did that on purpose to to save it, you know, so you can go check it out for yourself. Yeah, don't want to burn out all the cringe. And savor the cringe. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Mike said he wanted to do a short and sweet one this week, so uh, that's what we're gonna do. And I'm fucking starving, and uh, Taco Bell, oh Taco Bell is beckoning to me. So if you want more of me and Mike, join the Facebook group. Like I already said, go to Facebook and uh, type in "Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries" in the group section. You should be able to find us pretty easily. Uh, if you want me and Mike solo, you can check out our YouTube channels. Uh, Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. What was the last thing you talked about on your channel there, Mikey? I've actually done a lot of stuff lately. Uh, reviewed Silkwood with uh, Cher and Meryl Streep and Kurt Russell. I ranted about the proposed uh, new remake or reboot of The Thing. I talked about a TV movie from the 80s called Acceptable Risks. And then I also reviewed the miniseries uh, from HBO, Chernobyl, which is one of my favorite things from uh, last Chernobyl. It is such a great series. It is excellent. The reason why... Fantastic. The reason why I highly recommend it. The reason why I keep doing that whenever you say Chernobyl is because there's a Kraftwerk song called Radioactivity. 
And yeah. um, there's like this like heavily modified computerized voice in there. And uh-huh. the, the song's about like how radiation is bad and, you know, nuclear power plants. And so they're like kind of uh-huh. talking about these. Uh, I, the, they're mentioning these uh, places that are infamous for, you know, bad radioactive accidents. And Chernobyl's one of them. But it's it says it like Chernobyl, Harrisburg. Sarah Field. Anyway, you should listen to the song. It's pretty cool. I like how he says Chernobyl. It sounds cool. Um, if you want to check me out on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And I actually have a new video up too because I'm a productive little uh productive little Pete. I don't know. I thought you were gonna say I'm a productive little bitch. I, I was gonna <laughs> I was say productive like, little pussy, but <laughs> I was like a productive little bitch. I don't know. How could you be a productive? Anyway, the, uh, the video I did was that whole S tier ranking. I guess there are ways you could be. Yeah, you could. Like, if you <laughs> snitch on someone, that kind of makes you a little bitch, but you could still be productive in, in that capacity, I would imagine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I do. I rank all of Genesis albums from uh, the, that whole S, that whole tier list thing that's been popular lately. Like, you know, S is for satisfactory, A is for good, B is. A lot of people have been doing ones for like fast food. Oh, that's smart. Oh, I, that would be fun. I guess you could do it for anything. It's basically like like yeah. A A's A B C D F. You know, like the yeah. ranking in school, like if something. So it's basically uh-huh. broken down like that. So, like for instance, like the Lamb Lies Down Broadway by Genesis would be in the A tier, and their first album would be in the F tier. So I rate all their albums through like that, and um, I actually did it with my new phone. I got the iPhone 11 Pro. Um, upgrading from an iPhone 6, it's like leaps and bounds in in regards to like the camera and some of the other technology. Well, it's kind of like uh, for me when I upgraded to my first smartphone, the one that I have, which is an older Samsung Galaxy, it's an S4. But before I had like old Sony Ericsson's and, you know, stuff that like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a smartphone. Yeah, it was a dumb phone. <laughs> exactly. It makes sense. I mean, you're kind of a retro guy, so I mean, it makes sense that... Uh, you know, well, I was at, the the smartphone was free. I'm not gonna turn down a free phone. So. Oh yeah, if the phone's <laughs> like, if it's like a, a Sony Ericsson, if it's that old and outdated, yeah, they just give those away. They don't, they don't give a shit. Like, no, but I mean, uh, that was at the time. It was when I first got it. It wasn't that old, but like uh, the the Galaxy S4 is free too. It was another, you know, hand me down from my parents. But I, I'm not gonna, you know, it still works quite well. And a lot of the modern apps still work. So, yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, like the 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 new iPhone, like the recording quality on it is so good that I used my iPhone to record my YouTube video. I'm trying. What I'm trying to do with my channel is I'm trying to get. I'm trying to make videos that are lower production but still really entertaining. That way, I can put them out more frequently, and it doesn't feel like a fucking chore every time I have to do a YouTube video because that's like really becoming a pain in my ass. Like, um. So I'm 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 trying to make YouTube the YouTube experience fun for my me again like it was when I first started out because the last like year or two it's just been a slog for me like it's just been like oh I got to put out another video and I'm not I don't really feel like it and I got to put all yeah. this this uh well I'm just trying to you know to to do a lot more I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can this year because I, you know, last year I don't really feel like I did a lot or I did as much as, you know, I wanted to. So I'm just trying to 
do whatever. <laughs> like I'm going with the the flow, and I'm just like, oh, I don't care about views, whatever. Nobody want, barely anyone wants to hear me talk about. Some obscure TV movie from the '80s. Don't care. I want to do it. <laughs> so that's just kind of how how I I am uh, setting it up. Although it's gonna be kind of crazy because like you go from like serious dramas about radiation and like you know chemical poisoning and all that other shit, and then I'm gonna go into like Beverly Hills Cop and Bad Boys. So, <laughs> but you know, that's just the kind of thing that happens when you're doing random stuff. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Until next week, we'll talk to you later. Don't die. Goodbye. See ya. No, I feel you though. I get I get some stuff at work. Like some of the some of the kids that come over there. You know, making a mess, running around screaming, playing tag with their little brother, through the aisles. It's just like... And then and then you're like, the where is the parent? Why is the parent letting this happen? It shouldn't be my job to, to babysit your kids at, at my store. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> this is not a daycare. This is a craft store. <laughs> and then kids get into shit, too. Like, they'll get into the slime... And then they'll like leave it on the floor, or they're strew it everywhere, or they're they'll take the little like dragon toys and other stuff and just hide them in different places. Kids are necessary because they eventually turn into adults, and we have to keep yes. the species going. But good lord, that is just not a phase that I enjoy. I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever gonna. I I honestly don't think I want kids ever. Like. Although sometimes there are rare instances where kids are just, you know, genuinely just sweet. Oh, yeah. No, no absolutely. Terror phase. There's no, you know, moment where the kids are, are really a handful. I think part of it could also be the parenting. But another part could be other th- things, you know, uh, that happen in the womb developmentally. Yeah, apparently there was some uh, my brother's friends were there. And uh, they they had some foster kids, and uh, apparently they were they were treating these foster kids like crap. They were yelling at them and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And um, the, come to find out, like the foster kids, uh, like the boy or whatever, he tested positive for uh, suboxone and you know this other crap in his system mm-hmm. because his mom was a drug addict. Yeah, uh, and it was one of those typical situations where you know the mom's a dumb crackhead piece of shit and she's still going to do her crack even though you know she's pregnant with a kid and so now the yeah. kid's essentially a crack baby so yeah everyone was debating like after they left it was apparently really awkward i wasn't there to see that but they're like were they treating the foster kids bad because they're just shitty parents or were they treating them bad because that's how you have to be with foster kids, you know, you have to be stern with them because they came from that. I don't know, but the, the whole... Well, I think it depends on the situation. I think I, I think there are some foster kids where they do need that discipline. And there are other ones where, you know, that's all that they know and that's not worked. So they need a different approach. Yeah. I, because I it, it leans to toward, you know, legitimate abuse. So, um...
So anyway, on June seventh, nineteen ninety two, thirty six beta males and females. <laughs> okay, Mike. When I start in on a sentence, that is not the time to insert your fucking comment. Why do you do that? Why do you Sorry. wait until I start reading and insert Sorry. your comment? I'm gonna edit that. Forty seven thirty one. Go ahead. Hold on, I gotta put the timestamp down first. Forty seven Damn it! This fucking phone. I got a new phone. I'm getting used to. It's a different. Uh, it's just set up yeah, and everything. It's slightly. Di- it's still an iPhone, but it's 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 different enough to be annoying. All right. <laughs>